Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we're praying for you parents whose kids got all sugared up last night. If you went, if they went trick-or-treating, mine did, so there are mounds of candy. I think we're going to a trunk-or-treat today, so we're just gluttons for punishment on that one. But it's good to see you. My name is Corey, if we haven't met, and uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at GFC. And I wanted to double-click just for a minute on something that Pastor Andrew talked about briefly earlier. We showed you a video that was about our fellowship of churches. And as someone who didn't grow up as a part of our fellowship of churches, I think we're a little bit of kind of like a diamond in the rough. Some some people don't know uh, that we exist or who we are, but there are over 250, about 260 uh, churches that are a part of the Karis Fellowship here in the United States and Canada. I think that includes Mexico as well. Overseas, there are thousands. I think Africa itself has over 3,000. Um, so that we're all over the globe. And so it's a really cool thing to be part of. It's a cool thing to be part of locally. We work together. We mentioned the marriage retreat. That's something that we are doing together. There are churches that are part of our fellowship that are putting that on. Um, and then we can do outreach overseas as well and, and connect with churches overseas. And one of the things that we're focusing in on in November is praying for our churches that are around the globe. And so one of the ways that you can do that, if you'd like to, throughout the month of November there's an opportunity to get some emails every day that are prayer emails, just for different missionaries around the world, different um, Karis leaders around the world. And so on our follow, yeah, the follow along tab, if you go to our website, mygracefamily.church, there's a follow along tab there. And there's a button that says Karis Alliance Global Prayer Walk. And so if you click there, you can sign up. It'll take you to the link to sign up. And you will be able to get those emails every day in November, and they're just prayer. So you can kind of learn a little bit more about the Karis Fellowship and what we do and, and what's going on kind of in the world um, connected to the Karis Fellowship, and we're so excited about that. Okay, information over on that one. Let's dive in to our conversation today. We've been weaving throughout the year uh, in and out of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're not familiar with that passage, Jesus is teaching. This is early in his ministry he goes up kind of on a hill where a lot of people can hear him. He's got an audience that is all over the place. So he's got an audience of people that are committed followers to him, like the disciples would have been. He's got people that don't like him at all, like the Pharisees wouldn't have, so they're kind of skeptical. He's got people that just hear that Jesus can do crazy things, and they want to come hear from him. And so they're kind of gathering. And so Jesus preaches this sermon that kind of covers a ton of topics, and he, and he does it so that all these people can listen. And so we've kind of come in and out of this passage over the course of this year. And right now today, we're coming to the end of chapter 6. And so we're going to pick up the story here in uh, verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. We'll put the words up on the screen for you. Like I said, if you go to that follow along tab I just mentioned a little bit ago, all the verses will be there, all the notes will be there, and you can even ask a question uh, if you would like to. But Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 25, this is what Jesus says, That is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothing? So Jesus brings up this topic and says, I'm telling you not to worry. And he even goes into what we're not supposed to worry about. We're not supposed to worry about the very basic things of life. And I've heard different people have conversations about this verse in the past. And sometimes we dive really deep into what it's talking about. And sometimes I've even heard it used and just be like, don't worry. Jesus said it, so don't do it. I'm like, well, that's not exactly the most helpful thing at, on a bad day, right? And so we could say that this is one of the topics in Scripture that is easier said than done. You could take this verse and just say, okay, well, Jesus said it, so therefore I won't do it. 
and that'll get you by on good days probably, right? Where there's maybe not a lot to worry about or you're feeling good or there's not a lot of anxiety setting in and it's just good. But on days where that's not so easy, it's going to be very difficult just to read this passage and whatever you have going on in life and just go, okay, just worry's gone, right? I can just set that aside. It doesn't necessarily happen that way. And what we actually know is that the idea of worry and anxiety has picked up steam over the last oh, about 70 years. It's probably built up more than that, but studies are showing us that that's kind of been the way it was. And I did some research this week, and this was a topic I had studied previously and found some information on. But there's a uh, study out there called the age of anxiety question mark. Like, when is the age of anxiety? And so one of the things that they say in this report is this, that children today report more anxiety than child psychiatric patients in the 1950s. So you go back to kids in the 1950s they studied, they would say kids today have more anxiety than kids that would end up in psychiatric care in the 50s. Now here's the crazy thing about this study. This study is actually talking about kids in the 80s. So from the 50s to the 80s, it grew that much. So like I was born in 89. I know that makes some of you feel really old. Some feel like I'm very old. Um, but I was born in 89. So if you're just a little bit older than I am, you were the kids that they were studying, right? So your anxiety levels at that moment were worse than kids in the 50s who had to be put into psychiatric care. Now the question is, has it gotten better or worse? Probably worse, right? And so it actually goes on in this study to say this, why the increase in anxiety? Both studies, anxiety levels are associated with low social connectedness and a high environmental threat. Now let me like unpack that for a minute. What does that sound like to you? <laughs> the last two years. Um, kids had a low social connectedness. Kids spent time out of school. We couldn't have kids classes here for a little while at GFC or any church, right? We shut that down for a while. Sports didn't happen. Owen missed his first Little League season because it, it just didn't happen. And then there's a high environmental threat. So why was the reason? Well, there's a threat out there. There's a virus that we don't want to get. So this compounds the anxiety that we've seen. So theoretically, right, the, I don't think all the research is back in on this yet, but if we looked at kids from the 50s, then to the 80s, then today, I would assume that things continue to get bad. And in the 80s, these kids they were talking about were not kids that were in psychiatric care. It was kids that kind of were just in like normal life. So what was normal back then was, was what would put you in care in the 50s. I'm assuming that today that is astronomically worse. Now here's the thing, right? We're just, I'm just talking about kids, but let's talk about adults. We felt the same way, right? Our connectedness was lower and there was an environmental threat. Usually when I would go into a grocery store, I did not feel much anxiety at all. Now, if I needed to find something that I didn't know how to find, that added a little anxiety. But usually I didn't feel that. But here's what happened, right? At the beginning of the pandemic, we found out that Becca was pregnant. And then we had to go to this scary place called the grocery store where there's other people and they're sick. And so we had to get food and kind of figure this out, right? So she would take, there was a Wegmans about 20 minutes from where we lived. So in order to calm all my anxiety, she would take the Wegmans app and she would put everything into the Wegmans app that we needed because the Wegmans app would tell me exactly where to find everything. So I could just go through and like, I knew I could just go from this side of the store to the other and we would figure that out. And I would go later at night because we didn't want to be around a lot of people because we didn't want to bring the sickness home to my pregnant wife or my young children. And so then we would get home and do this really crazy thing where we would sanitize everything, right? Did anyone else do that or was I just crazy? Okay, good. I got a few hands. All right. So we would sanitize everything because we didn't want this, whatever it was, right, getting back to the baby, getting back 
to our kids. And all of a sudden, something that like three years ago, going into a grocery store would have been like, oh, I'm just going into a grocery store. Now, all of a sudden, I have to like go to war in order to get the food that I need, right? All of a sudden, that anxiety was higher. And sometimes anxiety shows up in places we didn't even expect. What I want to be careful about today is I don't want us to feel like someone who has been diagnosed with anxiety. This is not to say that what we're talking about today, we we look at this passage and we just go, oh, just believe in Jesus and that will all go away. Because that's not how things work. If we looked at somebody that was sick or ill or going through something and we just said, oh, you just believe more in Jesus, that will disappear. It's not going to work. It's not the way things work with anxiety or anything in life. But here's what I want us to know. That this truth, I believe, that we're talking about, that Jesus gives us today, will influence our anxiety and our worry in a positive direction, no matter the level we find it at. And if we understand this truth at a deep level, it will move us in the correct direction and cause us to have less anxiety and worry in our lives. But I want to make sure that we get the fact that anxiety is real, and its impact can be crippling. If, if anxiety is something you struggle with, you're not alone. We all do at times, and it doesn't make you less of a Christian or less of a follower of Jesus if you do find yourself struggling with worry and anxiety. But I would encourage you to lean into what we're going to talk about today. So let's go back and read verse 25 one more time. I want to, I want to pull out then three things that he brings up in this passage that I think are foundational for how we understand worry and anxiety moving forward. So verse 25 again, that is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus sets up three things here. I think the first thing that he sets up is your needs will be taken care of. My needs will be taken care of. He says, don't worry about everyday life. The things that you need, the very basics that you want to have are go or need to have, that you need to exist, I'm going to take care of them. The second thing is this. He is the sustainer of life, or God is the sustainer of life. When he says, isn't life more than food, what's he really saying? He's saying, I sustain the world around you, right? Like the the universe that's around us, the fact that our planet actually goes through space and doesn't just fall into nothingness, that's because of God. So if that's true, don't you think your next meal I can handle? Isn't it more important than food. And then he says this third thing, God is the sustainer of you or the sustainer of me. He says, and your body more than clothing. By the way, I'm not just upholding all the world around us, but I'm also the reason that your heart is beating and your brain is thinking. And so he says in this, in this verse, he gives us these three foundational things. I will give you what you need. I am sustaining the world around you, and I will even sustain you. When we understand these three things, and they influence the way we process life and the way that we have a relationship with God, we're going to understand that like he gets us. When we have a bad day, he knew that bad day was coming. When we're going through something that we don't want to go through, he knew that was going to happen. He knows when our last day is going to be. And so he created us knowing all of this information. And when we recognize that Jesus is saying, I will care for you, I will provide what you need. It can set us at ease because we know that he is in control, not just of us, not just of our life, but of the world around us. He goes on in verses 26 and 27. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. 
And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And Jesus brings up these birds, right? Birds are interesting. They don't, they honestly don't do any work to eat. I mean, they go like stick their face in the ground to get a worm, but they don't have to plant or make or any, right? They don't have to do any of that stuff. They don't hunt. They just, they just go find those, those worms when they come out of the ground, right? They just go find it. And so he says, these birds are taken care of by God. Would he not take care of you? Now, there's a way we can look at this verse in the opposite way that we shouldn't understand it, right? God is not dismissing the idea of discipline and hard work. So this is not to say that Jesus is coming along and just saying, don't worry about it. I'll provide for everything you need, just like the birds. Just go hang out. You'll be fine. I'll bring it all to you on a silver platter. That is not what God is saying, and, or not what Jesus is saying. And the reason we know that is because if we go to Colossians 3.23, it says this, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. So he doesn't throw away the idea of hard work or say that everything's just going to come if you just like relax and do nothing all the time. But what he's saying is the needs that you have, the things that you desperately need, that you need to exist, I'm going to care for. Another way to think about that, I think, would be to think about it this way. God will provide for you so you can do the work he has called you to. God will give you the basics of what you need so that you can do what he has called you to be and do. Each one of us has different giftings, callings. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live out our relationship with Jesus? And so he says, work at that. That's what Colossians tells us. Work hard at that as unto God. But the basics of what you need are going to be taken care of. And so when we have that faith in God, we have that understanding of his understanding of our life, and we can trust him and rely on him, we'll be able to do the work that he has given us instead of simply worrying about the things that we think we need or maybe we do need. And Jesus adds this, this tag on the end of verse 27, which I think is so interesting. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? If you worry enough, can you add more time to your life? That's what he's asking, right? Obviously, we know the answer to that. It's no. But what Jesus is pulling us into and helping us understand is that when we do worry that way, we are wasting time that we should be using for other things. When you're in a right sense of mind, right, you don't have something that's staring you in the face that's really causing you to be worried and anxious, you can think this through and go, I, I need to remember when I'm worrying, I'm, I'm wasting my time. It's not going to fix the problem. There might be something you can do to fix the problem, but worrying isn't it. So Jesus says, stop wasting your time on that. Rely on me, trust me, and do what I have called you to do. Verses 28 and 29, he goes on and says, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Verse 30, And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he, certainly, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? I love how Jesus does this. He gives us these little examples, right? He talks about birds and he talks about flowers, things we probably don't think of very often. 
It says these things that we don't really think about, they, you know, it's just kind of on a peripheral. Like God takes care of all those things. And then he adds these little tags, right? Can you add more time to your life by worrying? No. And then he goes at the end of this one, at the end of 30, why do you have so little faith? Like he draws you in with this little thing and then like, bam, hits you. Why do you have such little faith? Why do you have such little faith that you would look at what God has done in the world around you and not trust that he's going to take care of you as well? Can I say it this way? It's a little bit blunt, but I think this is true. Our worrying is based on our inability and not God's ability. We worry because of what we can't do, okay? One of the things that was very difficult, I've brought this up before, but we, when we were moving this summer, right, we would get into situations and we would offer too much money on a house and then somebody else would come along and offer way too much money in cash and we would miss it, right? It was like, we can't, what do we do? It would have been easy at that moment to start to get worried, right? We need a place to live. We had sold our home. What are we going to do? How are we going to get there? All of that stuff. That was all based on things that I could not control. I couldn't control who else was going to spend stupid money on a house. I couldn't do that. So if I'm going to worry about it, it's about things that I can't control. That's what would cause me to worry because I could do nothing about it. But when I rely on God's ability instead of my inability, then I would trust that he had a plan and could figure it out. And we ended up in a better house than we, what cheaper house, but way better. And all of those things, God worked all of that out. But I'm saying when I worry, I'll just talk about me for a minute. When I worry, it's about my focus on my inability to change things and not God's ability to do it. Maybe I'll give you, I'll give you a different example. Maybe you've walked through this one. Maybe you've lost a job and the worry is real, right? You have to be able to pay for things. You have to be able to feed your kids. Maybe you have to be able to do like, we need that job, right? That's what we have to do. We don't know what the next step is. And some of that may be built on your ability, but you can't make anybody hire you. And so the worry is that I'm not going to be able to find the next thing. But when we trust in God and what his plan is, we know that he is able to give us that job. doesn't mean that we don't try to find a house or try to find another job, but it means that we trust that God has that next step worked out for us and stop worrying about our inability and not God's ability. And one of the ways that I think this can get even worse, and this is the place I hope we never go, is when we think too much about our inability and not God's ability, one of the phrases that can start to get into our heads is, I can't because God won't. I can't be generous in this way because God's not going to show up and provide for my needs. Or I can't take this opportunity or step out in faith in this way because I don't trust that God's going to show up on the other side. We can get into that habit. We can get worried about it. We can get to the point where we're like, well, I have what I need right now. I don't want to risk that. And so I'm going to I'm going to not step out in that way. I'm not going to do the things that I feel God is calling me to do or asking me to do because I don't believe God will show up. And I'm just telling you the the opposite idea to be willing to do what God has called us to even when it seems a little bit like it's risk. What Jesus is telling us is he will provide for what we need. We don't have to be worried about those things. We don't have to have anxiety about those things. He's going to provide in those days. So don't have that attitude. Don't have the attitude of, I can't because God won't. God has already made the promise that he will. And we don't have to be fearful about those things. Verses 31 and 32, he goes on and says, kind of to summarize this, so don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows 
all of your needs. He sneaks another really important point in there. Right in the middle, he says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Now that's not a shot to you if you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're here in the room or you're watching on live stream, it's not, it's not a shot at you, but here's it's just a reality, right? If you are not a believer in God, then this, these words we're reading are not true. And so there is no one outside of you if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not a believer in God. There's no one outside of you that's coming to help. It's all about you. It's all about what you can do. Your livelihood is based on your abilities because God does not exist. So it's not a shot. It's just an understanding that that's the reality of the thought process. But for people that do follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, this should not be the way that you understand worry and anxiety because you do have somebody that just made a promise to you of, that you're going to have what you need. And so it's going to influence what's going on in your heart and mind. And I would even say it this way, that worrying is not a sign of Jesus' presence in your life. It's not. It's not Worrying is not a fruit of the Spirit, right? It should be the opposite, that Jesus' presence in our life actually gives us peace instead of worry because we understand his words in this passage and that he has provided for us in the past. I want to bring out uh, four things uh, about worrying that I think this passage teaches us that we can kind of grab onto. And maybe some of them will be true for you, some true for somebody else, but we can kind of process these things together. Number one is this, worrying can become our favorite pastime. We go back to what Jesus said, right? Who of you can add time to your life by worrying? And yet, it's a lot of time doing it, right? Sometimes it gets into our brain. We're fearful of what will happen that we don't even know might happen or something like that. We're worried about this situation or that going on or whatever it is. And so what can happen is we can start to spend time worrying. And we can almost wear it as a badge. Like we're like, oh, I'm so worried. Like I'm spending so much time thinking about this. Like I am concerned about it and that's good. And I need to be thinking about this all the time. But in reality, it's not a healthy place to be. It's not a good thing to continue to worry in an unhealthy way. It's not a good thing to spend too much time worrying. That's what Jesus teaches us when he says, who of you can add more time? So how do you get out of that? To be able to hand those things over. Recognize, like we said before, that your time spent doing that is not helping. If it's to come up with a solution, if it's productive thinking, that's good. But if it's simply to worry, it's not being productive. It's not helping. It's not trusting in Jesus. So don't, don't spend your time doing that. If you're going to worry for a while, give yourself five minutes. <laughs> Say, I'm going to worry for five minutes, and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to keep going. It's a human response to worry. It's a human response to have anxiety. But it is not good for us to dwell in that place. Don't allow it to become your favorite pastime. Number two is this. Worrying can become our invisible idol. We it's interesting because you can't see it, right? You can't grab onto it, but you can feel it. You can have it become a regular part of your day. You can have it influence your decisions. And worry and anxiety can influence your decisions away from God. It will move you away from being closer to God if you're, if you're too invested in your worry and anxiety. It's just going to happen. 
because it's not trusting God. It's not moving you to a place that says God's in control of this. And so we can spend our time and our energy doing that and giving our time and energy over to worry and anxiety. And in doing that, it can become an invisible idol in our lives. Number three is this. Worrying robs us of the things that we love. When you're worried, when you're anxious, you are not at peace, right? Think about the place that you, you would be at peace. Maybe for some of you, it's on a beach somewhere or it's on a mountain somewhere or sitting in the woods or like something like that, right? Where are you at peace? Worrying does the opposite, right? You usually go to those places so you can forget about the stuff that causes you worry and anxiety. It will rob you of that peace. It will rob you of sleep, right? You I, Maybe you don't even love sleep, but I like sleep, but it will rob you of that. It will rob you of positive relationships with those around you, right? When you're a worried, anxious wreck, how are your relationships with other people? Not great. You take it out on them. You get angry at them. You get frustrated at them. They add to your anxiety. That angers you, right? It's just this process where it's not good. And so it robs you of those things. When we allow it to have a foothold in who we are, it will rob you of the things that you love. And number four, this is kind of to sum all of them together. Worrying is a denial of who God is and a lack of trust in him. When we worry, we, we deny that God is in control, which is exactly who and what God is. <laughs> he is in control. And so we deny him of that truth. We expect that we can step in and do things better, which causes us anxiety because we're focused. Then we get to the point where we realize our inability rather than his ability. You know, really, really tangibly, how does this work? How, what does this mean for our lives, especially if you're a follower of Jesus? And like I said at the beginning, I'm not talking about people who have been diagnosed with anxiety. That's, that's a different point. It's something else to tackle entirely. But for those, for people that would be in a place where we're, we're talking about the everyday ebbs and flows of life, and we have these worries and these anxieties. What does this look like for us? And what I'm saying is, and what I believe Jesus is saying is, the way that we handle worry and anxiety as followers of Jesus should be different than the world around us. So if we take an equal opportunity, right? Let's take the job opportunity I, I said earlier. You've got somebody over here who's not a follower of Jesus. You have somebody over here who is a follower of Jesus. Both of them lose their jobs. The person who is not a follower of Jesus should have more anxiety than the person who is a follower of Jesus. The person who is a follower of Jesus should have less anxiety than the person who's not a follower of Jesus. In any situation, we should have that trust because we're realizing that Jesus has that plan set in place for us. And in verses 33 and 34, he spells out how, how we figure this out, what we do with this. He says in verse 33, seek the kingdom of God and, and uh, sorry, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. What does that mean? It means focusing more on what God has for us instead of focusing on what we think we need. There's, there's a point where we have to realize God is giving us what we need to do what he has called us to. He doesn't say that he's going to give us what we need for what our plan in life is. So when we worry about things, it might be based on like, oh, well, I think 
this is best, or I want to go in this direction. God doesn't promise us that. He says, I will give you, I will provide for you the things that I've called you to do. That's where we're going to go with this. So how do we eliminate worry? The way I think to eliminate worry is to focus on what God has given you to complete his plan, not on what you need to complete yours. He's going to give you what he's promised you, what you need, and he's going to give you what you need to do what he's called you to. But sometimes we get stuck in the spinning of the wheels of what we want or what we think we need from life. And when that happens, we get worried, we get anxious because God doesn't show up exactly the way that we want him to or he doesn't provide exactly what we think we need. And so we get anxious because our plan doesn't match up with God's and we're not relying on him. Don't find yourself in that spot. Don't be worried more about what you need to complete your plan or what I need to complete my plan rather than being trusting that God is going to give me what I need to complete his plan for me. So sometimes when we have these conversations, I'll give you a to-do, right, or an assignment or something to process through. My guess is that this morning there are those of us in the room who have some high anxiety, okay? Just the reality. There's something you're facing, there's something going on that is, is weighing on you. And you're thinking, what do I do with this? How do I process this? How do I tangibly follow Jesus in this? My assignment for you would be as you're processing those things, and if you're not processing something right now, you can set this aside as something to do later, but that you would make a list of do's and don'ts. And this is not a list of I need to do or I need to not do, okay? This is the list of do's and don'ts. What do I have and what don't I have? So if my list is I'm worried about, let's just go with the job example again. I'm worried about that. But in my do column, what do I have? I do have a home. I do have the food I need. I do have the clothes I need. I do have, right, those things that I do have are the needs I have. Then God has provided those things for you. He has lived up to his promise and he will take care of the rest. What's in the don't column? Are the things, in the, are the things I don't have? Are the things that I don't have the things that I think I need or I think I want or I think God should do? Has he provided for me the way that he has said he would? And then if there are things in the don't column, the things that you don't have that would fall into the need, and this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we really have to trust him. So we have to trust that he's going to move those things from the I don't column into the I do column. That if Jesus promised that he was going to show up and provide what we need, that he's going to show up and do those things. So even when the things in the I don't have column seem like they're needs, they'll move over. And my guess is when I've thought this way or I've processed things this way, the things that bring me the most worry and anxiety is when I focus on the things I don't have that I think I need, but I don't really need. Because I have the things that I do need. Right? Maybe we thought we needed to live on a certain street or in a certain area, and God said, no, nope, you don't need that. What you need is this. I didn't even know that existed yet. God's got a plan. He's going to move us in the right direction. We have to trust in those worrisome, anxious days that Jesus is going to show up and give us what we need because he promised to. And even on those difficult days, we can lean into him and say, I don't see it yet but I trust you. 
And I believe you're going to show up in the ways that you said you're going to show up. Like I said before, worry and anxiety are going to happen. They're going to come at times you don't expect. Sometimes your day when you woke up did not turn out the way that you thought when you went to sleep that night. And that's worrisome. Sometimes you just feel those things. It doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus, but it does mean that we have to view those things in a different way. And what Jesus says is, don't worry, because you can't add more time to your life. He says, make sure that you're trusting in who God says he is, and that you're looking for the things that he says you need, and not the things that we think we need. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we're grateful that you do mention and, and drill down on this topic in Scripture for us. Because worry and anxiety is something that is going to come to each of us. And sometimes we don't expect it. We don't know that it's going to happen. It could be a situation that we never saw coming. And yet it blindsides us and we find ourselves just overcome with worry and anxiety. And we ask in those moments that we would remember your promise to us, your gift of saying that you would provide for all the things we need, just as you provide for the birds and the flowers. And we ask that we would have a deep trust in you so that when those worrisome, anxious days come, that we would not find ourselves so much caught up in what we think we need, but that we would focus on what you have said we need. And we're grateful that you promise to give us all the things that we need to do, the things that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.